0: Welcome to For The Culture Podcast, where we and our guests discuss our lived experiences in science. This podcast explores how our work and mere presence impact our culture today. This podcast is an unfiltered conversation and really more of a therapy session where we can vent
1: and um, hopefully the audience can benefit from our experiences. This podcast
2: provides a platform for emerging and current scientists to discuss their development as individuals and community leaders in order to help and improve our culture.
1: We are here today with Dr. and Tenter Arthur L. Hinton Jr. Uh, he is the first re- recipient in his family to receive a PhD. He is an African-American a, a male tenure track assistant professor in the Department of Molecular Physiology and, and Biophysics, as well as the Ernest E. Just Early Career in- Investigator at Vanderbilt University. Uh, he was a former Burroughs Welcome Fund post postdoctoral and enrichment scholar a EE Just Postgraduate Fellow in Life Sciences and Ford Foundation Fellow who worked at the University of Iowa in the laboratory of Dr. E. Dale Abel, uh, now at UCLA. Uh, During his postdoc, he he elucidated the mechanisms behind which insulin signaling regulates optic optic atrophy, one protein activity in skeletal muscle, heart, and brain. He received his BS in in biology from Winston-Salem State University and and his NIH post-bac and PhD degree at Baylor College of Medicine in, in the Department of Integrative Molecular and Biomedical Sciences. To date, he has published 61 papers, gleaned over 55 awards, and given over 130 invited talks. He has also mentored over 70 graduate medical, post-bac, undergraduate, medical residents, and postdoctoral fellows. He has also been awarded three university-wide awards for mentorship and an an organizational mentorship award. Ladies and gentlemen, welcoming Dr. Henson to For the Culture (laughs) Podcast.
3: Thanks for having me. Welcome
1: welcome. Welcome. welcome, welcome. welcome. So there's so much more that I wanted to add on <laughs> in that bio. Um is there anything else that you want to speak of like your So you did two postdocs? Yeah. Like
3: that correctly? <laughs> that's that's correct. Yeah. So I did two postdocs uh and I mean you don't have to read off the long bio. The bio is just, you know, it's there um, and people can look it up if needed. It's not so much of a as important, but I did two postdocs. I was with uh, Evan Abel um, and he is a a National Academy of Science, National Academy of Medicine member. Um, And he was at the University of Iowa as a department chair in um, medicine. And so I worked in the lab with him from 2016 till 2021. And what was interesting was that uh, he believed in specially designing programs to tailor your interest and so that's what I was afforded the opportunity to do, not only to culturally immerse myself in the training of being a better mentor, uh, a better public speaker, and a thinker, but also understanding what it was that could create a niche for me to develop my laboratory around. And that's how I got the second postdoc offer. So it was the Microscopy Corps that invited a speaker named Jeffrey Salisbury, uh, who runs the Microscopy Corps at Mayo Clinic. Um, Dale said that, you know, what do you think about this technique? This is going to be something that's going to be cutting edge where you're able to model mitochondria and other organelles in 3d. And I think you should learn it. And I said, yes, I would love to learn it. And he says, well, let's go up to him and talk about it. So this is how I, uh, second postdoc was created because my, uh, previous, you know, postdoc mentor, but he's still like my mentor now, um, uh, he's more like kind of like my Yoda, you know. Uh, so I know kind of like how to go and move maneuver the correct ways, right? But um, it lasted for two years, from 2019 to 2021. Uh, he paid for me every month to go to um, from Iowa to Mayo Clinic, and Rochester is just three hours away. And uh, basically, I, I would either fly uh, most of the time, or I have a you know a driver. And then from there, um, you know, I would stay two to three weeks at a time uh, to do the research. Then I would come back and then do research and then go back and forth. And that lasted two years. Um, And it's really a blessing because also um, I acquired those skills in electron microscopy, specifically looking at transmission electron microscopy, uh, scanning electron microscopy, focus ion beam scanning electron microscopy and serial block facing scanning electron microscopy. And using those tools to actually answer critical questions in my laboratory, um, so it's been you know a really good time you know during that season because he also helped me to cultivate um, how to have a niche for the job market as well. And so the postdoc was an experience. I wouldn't say it was like a training ground. It was an experience because I got to work in the diversity office at the same time. Um, He helped me create a position in a diversity office called the academic and career development instructor. So I got to work up under the um, associate dean, who's now like the also the vice president of diversity now. And um, it was really awesome to have that five year immersed, intensive experience about like diversity, equity, inclusion, cultural competency. Um, And I wouldn't think that, you know, Iowa would be a place for that since, you know, we hear so many you know, interesting stories about, you know, Iowa being, you know, very homogenous. But in fact, the uh, Johnson County is a little bit more diverse than what you would realize um, since it's only about three and a half hours away from Chicago and an hour away from the Quad Cities. So there was kind of more diverse areas within Iowa. So there was a really understanding of um, what it took to be able to have people Um, feel accepted and, um, you know, could thrive. And so that is kind of why not only did I choose that area, but also the openness to try to explore, to really, you know, cultivate the skills that I needed. And so my laboratory has really got that jump and, you know, training because of um, my previous mentor giving me that platform to be able to explore and to catch me when I was doing a little too much and I was kind of spinning out of control and say, okay, stop. Let's reset. Let's organize. How do we do that right? And so that's something that, like, we're talking about now is, you know, as my mentor, we meet uh, so often uh, a month, and sometimes it can be requested if more, even though he's super busy now that he's at UCLA, being the department chair there, um, in the largest public, you know, university, you know, in the country. So, um, yeah. So that's that's it to answer the postdoc question.
2: Uh, From one postdoc to another, I can always appreciate hearing about somebody else's journey. Um, I'm currently in my postdoc now. And, you know, to be honest, I, I feel like I talk to a lot of Ph.D. students And the first thing out of their mouths after like their second year is that I'm never doing no postdoc. What? I see how they get treated. They work like slaves. Oh no, that'll never be me. That'll never be me. And uh to be honest, uh if we we keep an honest environment here on the podcast, um I was one of those people too. Until (laughs) I was coming up at the end of my postdoc, I mean, well, the end of my PhD and I was trying to figure out, you know, what was next and you know, got presented with an opportunity. So it's just good to hear, you know, that there's never a set track to do anything, especially when you hear someone doing more than one postdoc, because people just have this, you know, crazy scheme of what goes on. Um, so thank you for speaking to that.
3: And the pay was good. Uh (laughs) thank you guys. So so I just want to let you know that because like um that's something that's kind of going on about like science now, talking about like, oh, you know. We need more pay. So I was making seventy-five thousand. Um, I'm happy to say that because the standard going rate now is seventy across the nation. What postdocs should be making. So again, like he already had the insight to understand that, like I'm going to pay you this much, but I'm going to apply with you to all of these opportunities that will give you the jump start that you need in your personal life so that you can make this amount of money, right? And so we went through many iterations of getting grants, coaching me to cultivate that. And then, you know, we got it. And then he approved, you know, my salary increase. So, I mean, you can make what you want. It's just about you dreaming the possibility. Um, And I think that's something that we also forget that postdocs can be scary, but sometimes you have to pick not the topic, but the mentor. So if you can pick the mentor, that can get you there um, and you can take a skill set from that mentorship, um, then you can get everything that you need for your, you know, your career as well. So I think we shouldn't shy away from doing postdocs, especially minority postdocs and specifically African American individuals or Black individuals in general. You know, we shouldn't shy away from doing a postdoc if everything lines up um, to where we can get everything that we truly need. And we also have to kind of be humble. One of the biggest lessons I learned in my postdoc was how to be humble. I came from, you know, a really good school at Baylor college of medicine. And, you know, I just thought I was like, you know, can you cuss on the podcast? Okay. I thought I was, I thought I was like, I thought I was, yeah. Okay. Good. I thought I was hot shit and I, and I wasn't, and Dale taught me my very first lesson with that as well. Um, and you know, when you go to a postdoc, you really want to be humble, um, and approachable. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't have that mindset. I was so like focused on my goals at first. I really wasn't, you know, really kind of like understanding the concept of a postdoc. So if you can go in being humble and teachable, everything is available to you. But if you don't, you're going to have to reset and relearn things. And during that first year and a half, I really had to really learn again. I really had to kind of learn how to crawl before I could walk. Um, But again, you know, in that time of really deeply training, not only like my skill set, but my mind and my spirituality, that helped me to really kind of balance myself out. And so Dale's training is not only, it's kind of like, it's literally like I was telling you about like a Yoda, it's kind of like really like learning who you are and investing in what you can be as the best person for yourself. And then now, you know, like how does that, you know, equate to like my laboratory? I do this whole holistic mentoring approach and not one of the individuals in my laboratory undergrad all the way to staff scientists are not successful. Um, you know, so it's it's it takes time to cultivate. It's a little bit more riskier, it takes a little bit more money, but then, you know, the payoff starts. So, yeah.
0: That's amazing man um your 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 career trajectory is is, is something to 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 be uh like a model I, I would i would think and but it seems like every step of the way you have mentorship or mentors to help guide you to success so for those who are listening and, and those who are trying to actively find mentors, what would you suggest they how what does one look for in a good mentor? how does one identify a mentor and um how do you separate the difference between a mentor and, a, and, a, and an advisor
3: so um advisor and mentor are two separate things so an advisor is there to guide you over a particular set of tasks or coach you towards a particular goal a mentor in general not a uh, you know intentional mentor which we'll talk about a mentor is someone that could guide you on a particular set of um you know experiences that they've had And they try to give you that information in a way that's digestible, relatable, and allows you to navigate the career path that you're choosing for yourself. Um, And then sometimes mentors can add extra skill sets to themselves, such as an advocate or sponsor, where they go above and beyond. They listen to what you say, they hear your goals, and then they try to put things in your path as big as day so that you can kind of catch it and say, oh. OK, this is good. And you don't kind of, you know, pay attention to because you're like, oh, I'm getting this award. I'm getting this award. But really, you didn't realize the mentor was being a sponsor, and advocate in the background, networking for you to obtain these things. Right. So a mentor has those traditional skill sets and sometimes others where they're educating you. They're being a teacher. So they're multifaceted in their approach. But sometimes having just one mentor is not sufficient to be able to cultivate the type of training experience that you want. So you also have to have mentors that understand this and will be able to help you network in their arena so that they can give you access to things that you thought were not possible. And so that is where a mentor starts to become not a good mentor, not a great mentor, but an intentional, an intentional mentor where they're focused around what benefits you. What's going to cultivate your success and not theirs? So when a, a mentor becomes an intentional mentor, they change their mindset. They're focused not only on just your IQ and your outcomes for you know goals, but they're focused on your EQ, your emotional intelligence of how to handle situations. They're focused on your well-being for your uh, you know personal life. You know they don't necessarily have to get into it every week where they're like, "How's your mom? How's your dad? Things like that." But they do notice changes in your behavior and say, well, what's going on at the moment? You know, how can I help you? What resources and tools do you need? Right. So this is where you decide what type of mentor you want, which is the first question. And then I like to use different tools, such as if I was in a laboratory, I like to use an individual development plan, a mentoring contract and a mentoring map. Um, to be able to uh, guide the process between myself and a trainee. So an individual development plan is a map of your weaknesses and your strengths, or we like to say lesser strengths in my laboratory that we identify and that we're going to work on together, a list of honors and awards that you would like to win, the steps that which you would like to do for your career path, And then also things that you're trying to cultivate every three to six months. So a list of goals and then training goals and personal goals. And a mentoring contract is just kind of saying, okay, we're now in this like partnership and we're gonna do these things together. And these are the ideal things that we need. These are the boundaries that we're setting, et cetera. And I use a mentoring map to be able to help them understand that you need a mentoring team. So let's figure out who needs to be on your team To get you the success that you want, uh, because I can't do it alone. I have over like, I would say 50 something mentors in different capacities. And sometimes people may think that's too much, but I can call an individual and say, Hey, you know, uh, Dr. Chester Brown, I need to talk about genetics. You know, I need to talk about like, you know, um, you know how to be in Tennessee. Um, I need to talk about like how to mentor this group of individuals, you know, to get to this, I could pick up the phone and talk to Dr. Abel and say, okay, we need to talk about this NIH grant. Cause you know, you, you know, you always getting this NIH money and I didn't get this one discussed. So what's wrong, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, that's a, you know, a thing like that. Or I might talk to Dr. Sandra Murray where we're cultivating talent, where she has a, um, a special ability to have somebody that needs a second chance and then pull them together and create them to be, you know, colossal individuals. Right. And so these are some of the people that I rely on in different capacities and they're all multi-purpose, but I do like to let them specialize, if you will, Dale and Chester Brown and um, also Sandra Murray, they're all uh, multi-purpose. Some of my other individuals are multi-purpose, but I don't use them for that. I use them for their special skills, right? Like how to negotiate, how to make things like, you know, my own. I have a mentor, uh, Dr. Hector Sandoval, who's in, um, you know, industry. And we talk about like how to interview, how to cultivate um, your word choices, um, how to tell a story in science when you're talking about the data. And he has an experience where he's got like multiple Science, nature, and science, uh, nature, science, and cell papers, and we're talking about like how to co- cultivate the data into a well-written story so people can understand. So you have to have mentors for different things, um, and you know you can talk to them about other things, but make sure that you're you're particularly focusing on their unique skill set so that you can glean from them and you can use that skill set. And of course, you know you maintain the relationship. You talk about other things, but really try to find mentors based upon their skill set and if they're willing to work with you on that niche because you're all about trying to take that niche from that individual learn everything about it then develop it to make your own and then add it to your repertoire it's kind of like collecting the infinity stones if you will right like if you have all of them you know you're going to be you know really you know amazing right but like you need all different types and they're totally different right You need a time management mentor, right? You need someone that's really going to talk about your soul, right? You need someone to power you up. So just think like that, right? So that's how I think about mentorship.
2: When you're picking those mentors, how do you pick out some of those skill sets? Or is it something that you just see over time? Or is it something that you pick up from a conversation? How do you do that?
3: It's the intentionality around how they're talking to me about certain things. My favorite mentor is, um, you know, Oftentimes we think about um, HBCUs as not the playground to really learn and really immerse yourself into the best, right? But it's a misconception my best mentors are at my home institution at Winston-Salem State. No shade to nobody else, but they know me the best, right? And so sometimes there's two types of mentors, ones that already know you from your coursework and it develops into a blossoming relationship where they're planting seeds to so where they're not just giving you one flower, they're giving you in a garden of flowers. So, how do you cultivate that? Right. So, that's the question, right? Um, sometimes it comes to you. Um, I, you know, I believe in God. So, sometimes, like when my mom praying for me and I'm praying for me, you know, you can ask for certain people to step into your path. So, sometimes it's divinely focused, um, sometimes it's by coincidence of interactions. Um, And then let's say you don't necessarily believe in God, or you don't know how to like believe in coincidence. How do you seek those out in a scientific type method? So one thing to think about is understanding who are the leaders in your field and understanding who are those leaders and who have they trained and where are those individuals at? So this could be a criteria for success determining like, Okay, these individuals trained at Harvard and each one of them are all at Ivy Leagues and they're nice and they have funding, but they also are approachable. So then if you know that criteria, then you can say, okay, let me go approach them for 10 minutes. Let me email them, ask for 10 minutes of my time because we all live in a virtual space. List out questions that you're going to ask in advance and say that you will time the conversation no more than 10 minutes. And if you can't have the conversation because you're so busy, I want one of your postdocs or I want one of your staff scientists so that you can start to kind of glean some information on what it is that makes this individual great, right? And then let's say you can't follow up with that top dog, but you can follow up with one of their underlings, if you will, meet them at a conference, meet them for coffee. And this applies to your institution as well, because you could meet that postdoc that becomes a peer-to-peer mentor if you're a postdoc. Or a graduate student. Sometimes it can be reverse mentoring. A grad student can teach you a lot more just because you're up at a postdoc level or a faculty level. You can learn a lot from a uh, individual. So don't hold yourself to the oh, I'm I'm you know this position, so I can't learn anything. I'm always learning from my undergrads all the time. I'm like, how do you do that again? Um, and uh, we laugh because like I you know I, I code and do all these things and. It's funny because sometimes I forget the basic like how to send this or how to do that. Right. So you can learn from anybody. So those are like small nuggets to think about. And the other thing is that you can develop those relationships because they can happen just by chance. So you can have a professor start out as a professor and then you can visit that professor's office hours all the time when they start to get to know you. And then after you get out of the course, you still visit them. And then that just becomes that relationship that's consistent, that's managed on, you know, a timely, weekly basis. And then that starts to develop. And then you can approach somebody after that and say, will you be my mentor? You know, I need to learn from you these skill sets. You know, I've heard other individuals say these things about you. And I want to learn these things from you. Um, So remember, mentorship doesn't have to be transactional, where it's all about getting something. It should just be an experience that you're learning about that you're embracing because every step of the way is not guaranteed or promised. So you have to really be happy about the opportunities that are available to you. So I I actually had a quick question. Um,
1: Just bringing things back to finding the opportunities that best fit your, your uh, career. And um, best fit where where you want to go, you know, short, mid, long, long term. Um, Did you always know that you wanted to be in academia? And if not, when did you make that uh, uh, choice to to pursue the. Um, academic career path versus industry or government Uh, not, not, not saying that you won't do those things for sure in the future. Um, But when did you, you know, first, first make that choice?
3: You know, it's really funny that you mentioned that. Um, So in high school, I wanted to be a nurse like my mother. So I actually did um, the allied health science course to become a certified nurse, a nurse assistant. So I was a CNA in high school. Um, And then in college, I didn't keep up those hours because I was going to be a nurse. So I was going to be a nurse. So I thought and I was majoring in that and majoring in biology at the same time. I was like, I can double major in both of these Um, and play tennis and do everything. This is my attitude of I can do it all always. This is how I live. Um, And what was funny was my first mentor was the person that I hated the most. Uh, His name was Morris J. Clark. He always would give me the hardest time. He'd say, Hinton, you're late for class because you came from tennis. So Hinton, you know, you can stand outside for the class. You know, um, you can listen, but, you know, you were late. So this is where this whole, like, being on time thing, you know, I have learned. You know, Hinton, um, I see that, you know, you did pretty well on the exam, but why did you miss the other, you know, the other points? Hinton, I thought you had it together. Hinton, you, you hear how he's always asking these questions. And I remember this one time I was a little late because I you know, was really tired from tennis practice. And you know, he really got on me and said, Hinton, I find it superfluous that you're making a habit out of being late for my class because you want to play tennis. Hinton, you have to organize your time and figure out what's most important to you. Hinton, you know, like he kept going on like this all the time. And it really pissed me off, man. Like I would like fuss and cuss and I cussed them out one day. And that's the one thing about an HBCU faculty. They hear that all the time and don't care. Um, and I was a little hot headed at the time. And, you know, um, it was really funny because I wanted to be just like this man. This man pissed me the hell off, but he was so cool. He was so collective. He had swag and he was an older brother. Cause now like Dr. Clarkson is like late seventies, but like it's, uh, It's hilarious, man. Um, You know, and he was a pastor, but you didn't know that. So he was like living this life. And and it was just great. You know, he had kids. He had money because he was the vice chair, too. So he was always like like he just wasn't live the swag life. His car was living the swag life. You could tell he had money because he would take everybody out to eat. And it was never an issue. Like he's like, I'll pay for everybody, you know, like, or he would invite like food. And this wasn't coming off a of grant as I learned later on, this was like coming out of his pockets, like, and, and the activities that we did for street cleanups and things he was like, yeah, I'll pay for this. They don't need to know. I learned from my other mentor, which was like his other like person that he would run the streets with uh, well, the Winston-Salem streets, if you will. Um, and so uh, it was really nice because I wanted to be just like him because he cared so much about everybody else, but he always had his stuff together and he went to a great school. He went to Chapel Hill to get his PhD in pharmacology. So I was like, you know, this brother really knows what he's doing. Went to industry, worked in industry, had all these connections. He would talk about the Bureau's welcome fund or he would talk about this and he would always do this and do that. And if you notice, like Bureau's welcome fund is a part of like my portfolio now. Right. Like, it's like all of these little things that he did, I wanted to do. And I wanted to be better than him because I was like, if he can have this much success at this level, I could do so much more, right? And I first learned from him that a place doesn't define who you know and who respects you. It's just an existence to be able to do some work, right? He could have gone to other great schools because he actually had publications. Because sometimes, you know, at HBCUs, we focus on teaching and nurturing, but don't focus so much sometimes on the research. And there's usually, you know, there's several institutions, you know, like Morehouse, for example, that focuses on both. So you have like researchers, but at Winston-Salem, there's not a lot of researchers. At the time when I was there, there was Dr. Singh who actually had like, like our equivalent funding. Um, and then there was like Dr. Clark who had these, you know, big million dollar grants from other institutions that are working together and, and these are big institutions with Ohio State, Clemson, you know, other places. And he was collaborating with them to create this foundational big money. Right. And so I always believed in now the foundation grants, because most of my grants are foundation, not NIH. So I like if you understand, like how like I was like living off of this man's high, like I was just trying to do everything right. But one of the best things was he told me that you'll be able to play tennis your freshman and your senior year. But if you're going to be able to excel the way I would love for you to excel, to have every opportunity knocked down to you, you're going to have to decide how to spend your time. So he also had those conversations with me that were really real, right? And I you know, had partial scholarship for tennis and some for academics. He also was the one that brokered my first deal of getting a full academic ride. I didn't come in as a STEM scholar, which was our equivalent to the Meyerhoff scholar program, which it was based off of, but he got me there. He got me from being a partial STEM scholar to a full STEM scholar. And I'm talking about tuition, pay, everything. And then I was living in the nice dorms, Rams Commons, uh, which was the nice dorms, you know, you wanted to live there. And it was all because this man was unlocking doors for me and didn't want anything from me. That's also another thing that was really interesting, right? Cause I couldn't understand. Cause like where I come from, you know, you're going to have to return the favor for something like you're going to have to like, you know, go do this or go do that. And that's what I was also worried about too, but he didn't ever want anything from me. Um, just wanted me to be successful. And he always would tell me you want to be better than me. Right. And so now it's summer of, at Winston-Salem State. Because he called my mother without my permission and uh, told her that I was going to stay for the summer as long as uh, he had her permission and that he would pay for the housing. He would pay for the summer research experience because I didn't know what summer research was at the time. I remember this. Right. Um, And um, that I was going to do research and it was going to give me the training I needed to be able to go to a duke. If you will, this is what he said, uh, Duke. And I went to Duke the following year, you know? So again, this man had connections that was deep, right? And so that summer I was a little upset, but I did get to live in Rams Commons, So I thought that was cool. Um, And then uh, the next summer um, he was like, Hinton, you need to go somewhere else. Let's apply to these places. Now at the time I had failed calculus. I had everything else together, but this man believed in me. I was, I was really sad, right? I fell in. I had made a D, but it's the same thing. I made a D in calculus at this time. And he was like, hinting, you know, you're doing well. You might've had a little boo booing, you know, your math, but it's okay. We'll get it together. Don't worry about it. Right. And I said, okay. And I go to Duke and I excel because I had already learned how to do all of the, the research. Right. Um, and didn't get along with everybody learned how to like, I was learning how to do that whole, like, you know, the networking thing. At the time I wasn't the best at networking and I saw people as competition or if I saw someone better than me, I also didn't know how to relish in that yet. Um, And so uh, these are skills I learned from him. And then from there, when I got back to the institution was when the training really started. And he pulled me to the side and he says, how was the experience? Did you enjoy it? What do you think that you can do now? And then I said, Oh, I still want to be a doctor and a nurse, you know, and do all of this. And again, I didn't understand the concepts of like you need to be one or the other, but you can do it all right. Um, so he sat me around and he says, it's great. You want to be an anesthesiologist. It's great. You want to be a nurse. But he was like, do you not know that you just went to Duke and Duke told me that you did really well at, you know, such and such, you know, cause I was studying Della proteins and, uh, a uh, Robbie Dobbs, the style Lena, something that, you know, I didn't kind of care about, but the signaling interests me, the cell biology did. And, um, he taught cell biology and he told me, he says, you know, you really could be a, you know, a research doctor. And he, and I, he was like, you could be like me, you know, but you could go do research. You can make good salary. Again, I learned later, he was already making over a hundred something thousand dollars at like, Went to say one, too. so yeah. was, again, he was doing well. He was living everything that he wanted to do, right? Um, and so that got my interests up in a way that I hadn't thought about before. And I was like, maybe I can do this research thing, right? So I stayed in touch with him and he got busy because he was doing so many things for so many people. But what he was intentional about was making sure I had me a coach every step of the way. So the day-to-day things, because he was the vice chair, after he had piqued my interest, of course, I would meet with him maybe like once a week. We would talk about the courses, all of these things. He got me the things I needed to be successful, obviously, because I wouldn't be at Vanderbilt now. But like I passed calculus the second time. But the coach that was right next to me was Dr. Heiseta Schuler, who actually has a PhD in organizational psychology. So this is where I learned all of these mentoring practices, leadership skills, career development things um, from her. And I applied that to what I already knew about the science. And Dr. Clark taught me so well. That's how I got into the PhD program at Baylor. I went to Abercamps and I was talking about GPCRs like, it was a thing. I could talk about beta arresting, blocking this, or talk about this and that. And Dr. Slaughter was the recruiter. And she says, I've never heard somebody at any undergrad Talk about GPCRs, let alone the mechanisms of how, like, you know, they interact, how they separate, how there's this and that. You can name the pathways. You can talk about GIO, G-alpha, G-alpha-Q. You know, you can talk about all these different ones with great knowledge. And this is because of Dr. Clark. So, again, I want, you know, whoever's listening to this to realize you can be at an HBCU. You can be at a Hispanic serving institution and you can get the best training that you can ever have and you can stand up to be able to be anything that you wanna be, but you also have to be humble and teachable. That is that quote that he kept telling me over and over again. And I will always find my way going back to him because that's how I got my life together in my postdoc because he was like, you're not being humble and teachable because you think you've accomplished something because you went to Baylor College of Medicine. You have not accomplished anything. I remember him and Dr. Shuler being on the phone Getting me to realize that in order to embrace this this type of training, this black man that you're in a lab with is teaching you about not just how to survive the postdoc, but how to survive the faculty position. So you have to embrace what he's giving you because he's giving you the opportunity of a lifetime and you're young. He doesn't take young individuals. He takes people that are more seasoned and ready for the opportunity. So you're going to now have to put in even more work than you ever have before. So every stage of the journey, I'm telling you, this brother was here, I've skipped some chapters for time, but like, that's when I learned I wanted to be like somebody and better than somebody because he told me I could be. And that's the type of mentor that I always want. Um, Someone that's gonna really, you know, tell me like, man, you know, you're great, but you can be better than me. And I believe you can. And I'm gonna tell you everything that I've done and connect you to everybody else, you know. So this is this is how I learned that story of I could be a PhD doctor and I can enjoy it and I don't regret anything and I love it, you know. So and that's that's where I I got that genuine love from was from Doctor Clark, yeah.
0: Hey man, shout out to Doctor Clark, yeah, Clark real quick. Like he's a, he's a, he's an OG.
3: Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, I see from your bio, you're a diversity, equity, and inclusion champion. Uh, could you talk about uh, what that looks like in, in your discipline? Yeah. Uh,
3: so diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, for the audience that may not know, um, you know, is a concept that's a hot topic within politics as well. So um, one thing to caution anybody that's, you know, getting into diversity, equity, inclusion try to manage your portfolio based upon certain areas that light you up on the inside first and stick to those things. Try not to try to do everything because if you do everything sometimes and you're not well equipped in that area, it can lead to trouble. So you want, that's just the first word of caution because of the state of the climate that's going on. Um, Now for me, um, I've already had extensive experience for diversity, equity, inclusion. I've been working in diversity, equity, inclusion since graduate school. I also stayed up under Gail Slaughter, who was like the world's premier, like diversity person. Right. So well, one of them. And so I learned a lot. But I continue to learn that in my postdoc as well, because Dell had been a champion for it. So for me. I first set up under individuals that were doing well before I made a decision about how to do diversity, equity, inclusion for myself. So what I would say is go get training, um, formalize in some capacity, talk to mentors or people that will be your mentors so that you know how to do it. Then once you know how to do it, how do you develop it into a niche for yourself, right? One of the best things that my mom told me was that during the pandemic, She was like, you have all of this great talent. You can't march. I forbid it. So she says, you need to figure out something to do. And what I decided to do was use my ability to write um, in a way that people could understand and partner with others to create a space for ones that didn't have a voice Um, to start this writing guild called the Community of Scholars, which I started with Dr. Melanie McReynolds, Dr. Christina Termini, and Dr. Brittany Taylor, all minorities in a different capacity. Um, And uh, we decided to create this group to where people could come and have a safe space to talk, a safe space to write, and a safe place to create change. Because my mom said, I need you out there mentoring and training minorities. I can't have you going out and protesting and then being in jail and then you're not going to be able to get the job that you want. Um, and you know, that's, you know, wisdom. So you also have to listen to wisdom. Um, and then, you know, my dad reinforced it too. So I was like, Oh man, I gotta do it. You know? So during this time I'm writing, I was already practicing how to do diversity equity inclusion. I started the first diversity day at Baylor and they still have it. Every, you know, every year, you know, I was on the IMSD steering committee, Um, you know, I was involved in, you know, being the president of uh, graduate student diversity, all these different things. But to live it in my postdoc where I'm actually the one recruiting, the one retaining, the one helping, you know, create programs that allowed me to have that deeper insight than just doing one little, you know, small activity. But I was controlling a whole sector of doing diversity, equity, inclusion work. Right. And so now being able to do that, I had a different, uh, you know, hindsight of like what I should be doing or who I should be talking to. And so what I decided to do was start petitioning to top journals. And again, they'll help with this. And so did Dr. Clark. So again, don't ever think that you're done with a mentor. Um, They allowed for me to be able to get access to journals that I would never dream of. So Cell, Nature, Science, EMBO, all of these top journals to write articles for um, and blog spaces as well. Um, And it turned into something that I now love to do um, where I'm writing career development articles, diversity articles on topics and mentoring articles. Um, And these are all qualitative approaches. And then I partner now with STEM education experts and their space to actually start doing some science work around like, how can we create a better, safer environment for the STEM field, the higher ed field as well. So I do this in addition to my research. Um, and I believe that you can do it all because there's examples. Cath, um, who's at Duke, who's an HHMI investigator, he does both. And one of the best things that he said to me was, young man, you can do both and you can be better you know, than what I'm doing. So these type of people believing that you can do it helps cultivate the desire in you even stronger to create a movement. And so for me, it's not about the accolades to, you know, oh, I'm in this journal, I'm in this. It's to create the space so that other people can have um, an opportunity to be that light for that institution because they're saying, oh, this cell paper was published about HBCUs or this cell paper was published about the pipelines and cell thought it was important or nature thought it was important. So now you need to think it's important, right? And so that's the thing that I'm trying to do is equip our people and other minorities um, of different flavors, whatever you know, flavor you're thinking about, um, to be able to have these, you know, receipts like, hey, you're not listening to me, but Cell Nature and Science are listening to me and their sister journals are listening to me. So this is why we think it's important. And so it's to be able to equip individuals with the own tools that they need to be successful at their institution, because I can't reach every institution. But if I create this platform and use it responsibly, I can give tools out that are going to help individuals to be successful. And that's why I do the diversity, equity, inclusion work. It's not about you know being famous. It's not about a Nobel prize winner following me. It's not about MC Hammer following me, all these like people and stuff. It's more about what you can do with your platform to create change to sustain change, right? And that's how I think about things now is that like, I'm in this space and it's a blessed space. So how can I use it for the time and the season I'm in? And then how can I train others to do it and then do it better than me? Um, and that's where, you know, I take a responsibility for when I'm thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion. And I also do it to create my own safe space, right? If I can believe in my principles and practice them, I can create a laboratory that's culturally diverse and I can be that work for other people at my institution to see you should hire more diverse candidates. Look at, you know, one of my postdocs, Heather Beasley, who's out here killing it. Already got two fellowships, things like that, you know? So that's that's an example of like, you know, what I think about diversity, equity, inclusion. I'll keep going on. You got cut me off. Cut me off because I'll talk all day, man.
0: So no, <laughs> no, nah, nah, I, I I can hear the passion. I hear I hear the passion. We know uh, one of your students as well uh, through uh, talking at a cancer cancer uh, research conference. Wait, was it a cancer research conference or was it a SFDP conference?
1: Yeah, it was an uh, annual meeting uh, where where we had first yes. met Dr. Beasley. Um, yes. and I think, I think that's where Lawrence met her. I was at the annual meeting as well, but somehow I just didn't actually meet her there, but me and Dr. Beasley, I actually met in, uh, Philly last month because we were both at the, uh, cancer health disparities, okay. com- uh, conference. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, quick, quick shout out to Dr. Beasley. <laughs> She's
3: awesome as well. Yeah, we have to have her on, the, on the Podcast yeah. also, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> She can talk about cancer and, and her own nonprofit that she has. She's got a lot of stuff going on um, and she's doing really well. But yeah, um, I mean, that's that's the point. You know, diversity is important, but it's how you use your platform. No, definitely, definitely. Uh, so I guess my
1: question, I feel like we covered so much in a relatively short uh, period. Uh, I feel like we might have to have you on for a, for a part two because there's so much more to, um, talk about, uh, I had, I actually had a few questions, but sure. in the interest of time, uh, I'm going to ask you about your life out, out, outside of, of science. Um, sure. what are, what are some things that you, that you like to do, you know, personally that, uh, help keep you going, um, that, that help to restore you. Uh, I think it was Marilyn Monroe who said that, she restores uh stores herself in her quiet moments. Um, mm. but yeah, so what is it that you do or don't do that um uh help you in your in your quiet moments, so to speak? That's one question. Second question, and that's my last question, is what are what are some things? So so you, you spoke about so many amazing men mentors that, that you have in your life. Um, what is it that you feel that you've done or haven't done that has led to people um, seeing so much in you And you can, you can tackle both questions how, in, in whichever order you want.
3: Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to stay longer to, you know, cause the, the goal is to get the people to get what they need. Um, but um, the first question, you know, like um, how I restore myself is multiple ways. So one way is I love food, I love to cook. Um, I love to share food with others. So in my lab, one thing I do, like if I'm trying to restore my lab and then I'll talk about what I do personally, separate with my own family. Um, how I try to restore my lab is through a conversation over you know, beverages and food and we pick a different place to explore. We pick a different country to learn about. Um, and I think sometimes an experience can be in a space and abroad, right? So now, like we've learned about the different cultures, now we're gonna immerse ourselves in a couple weeks going to Europe to do conferences, but then a week in between, we're gonna do a retreat for the lab and we're gonna do it in certain places. And so, for me, how I see things for a laboratory to create certain things, and as far as like culture and Context of how to restore yourself is to take breaks. I also allow for my my lab to have days off because um, I think it's really important. And I also take days off, and that's something that's not the norm in science. But I think that if you can have a mental health day, um, if you can have a day where you can work from home like five times the month on the during five times five different times during the month, excuse me, I think is important um, and. Uh, that is kind of what I kind of offer to my laboratory to do that. What I do personally is, um, I plan trips. Like for example, in December, I'm going with my friends to Jamaica, you know, we're going to go enjoy ourselves. Um, we're going to go to only black owned places and resorts because like the whole idea is to not only like, you know, believe in what you do, but to practice it. Um, and then like, I also like, you know, go to trips for fun. Like I had, um, my, I, I'm, I'm partnered. So like my partner and I, we went to Mexico for a family, uh, event, like right before I had to go speak at the Virgin islands. Um, like I was in Mexico hanging out with my family, enjoying myself, uh, you know, and then, you know, then I went on to do some work, uh, which work was actually in the Virgin islands. Like we, we did a conference there. Um, But what I try to do is I try to give back to different places that I think that are important uh, for my existence and for others. So that also restores me. So where, you know, I might be at this large institution and all of these things are going on, but how I'm restored is two ways. One is to travel with my um, partner or my friends um, and just enjoy life. Another thing is to, you know, enjoy food. Um, and another thing is a talk on the phone or, you know, I talked to my sister earlier today. I talked to my mom earlier today, talked to my aunt yesterday. Um, and so I believe in family so very much. Like every time that there's a trip where I may have to go to a conference, like like tomorrow in the morning, I actually have to go to another conference. I just landed here today to do the podcast with you all. Then I'm back on the road again tomorrow. Um, and, you know, I believe in like, taking a day off to see people and interact with people. So like, I'll do like, you know, the conference I'll tag on a day and a half to go meet other professors to visit them. And that restores me. Cause when I know that they're well, and then I'll make a quick stop to go see my, my grandmother. Um, so for me, like that's how I restore myself. And then when I need a break, I just tell my lab, well, we all gonna have a, we gonna all have a virtual day. So, you know, I'll take a, a day off and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. What was the other question? Because I'll be forgetting because I'll just be lost in thought.
1: So the other wait, what was my, my other question was, uh, what what have you done or or haven't done um, that that has led uh, so many so many men mentors tourists to uh, kind of spot our early you know, that, you know, you were someone that they wanted to cultivate and nourish. And uh, what advice could you give to, um, to us as well as our audience members to, you know, further cultivate
3: um, that, that passion in, in others towards you? Yeah, I'm that person that is not like, I'm not better than a lot of people. And what separates me from other people is the curiosity. So I'm always asking questions. I'm always um, thinking about not myself, but others. And I'm always willing to help other people. So these are my best qualities that I have. I am not special by any means of the imagination. Um, I pray for my ideas. <laughs> like, I don't I don't have like nothing like that's like, you know, like amazing, you know. Um, you know, my ideas are, you know, really out there. So like when they come to pass, you know, it wasn't me because like like one of my most recent ideas, I'm like, I'm going to create this database to like look at like mitochondrial structure and um, we're going to use it as a way to diagnose like pathologies. And everybody was like, that's not going to get funded. Right. Like, but I'm like, it's going to be funded and it's going to be funded. Uh, you know, I can't announce it, yet, but it'll be funded really relatively soon. I got it funded. Um, And now I'm on another crazy idea right now to do it for human pathology, just not like mouse and, you know, use it as um, a way to look at some human disease. But now I'm interested in looking at it across multiple human diseases. Right. Um, So I think like you have to believe in your ideas, but you also have to get the knowledge from other individuals to be able to do that. And what I think mentors see in me is that, you know, I have all of these lofty ideas and enough dare to try to get them and so people sometimes want to help me along the way to see how much of it i can actually get uh cultivated so i'll tell you one last story um this is how dale um uh, picked me to be in his laboratory i was at uh, an endocrine event um and at this endocrine event Um, it was where they were asking what you would do after your postdoc. And I was in grad school, right? And I had said, I'm going to be a PI, which is reasonable, but I was going to be tenured in five years, have two R01s, HHMI, and I was going to be an endowed chair. And so people giggled a little bit because they said, that's a lot of work to do in such a short period of time, right? But like um, Dale, you know, he says, I think those are all attainable. So mentors believing in that, like that, like you know, that I don't know that secret sauce or whatever. They're like, I can help you do that, right? So like he's helping me literally do that, right? Um, I had no clue to the other day. To so Dale, told me to count, you know, like what I've done, like how many grants. Look at how many grants you've gotten, and, and like to date, I've gotten over two million something dollars in in external funding, and I just started. I'm a second year you know, faculty member. And, you know, now he's teaching me how to use it more wisely, Uh, you know, because when you become a billionaire for science, you don't realize, you know, you have to use it responsibly. Uh, You just think you're, you know, rich. But um, the thing is that like um, that um, that belief when you fail and he reminds you back again of what you can do reinvigorates me to do more. So I want a mentor that will sit in failure with me pick me up out of failure and restart me. And then I want a mentor to believe in my ideas. And so that's the same type of practice that I I do. I don't ever say anything's impossible. I say it may be difficult to do, but we can try to get there together. And so I think that's what I put on my mentees now and what I've learned from my mentee, my mentors. And it's just about potential. It's just about having an idea And having someone that'll help you walk you there.
0: Wow. We need more PIs with a a keen sense of protecting people's mental health. Uh, Yeah, yeah, we need more PIs like you (laughs) because it's important.
3: It's important. A lot of
0: of grassroots are getting crushed out here and pandemic and everything else.
3: Yeah. It's sad because a lot of times we don't think that mental health is important. And I've had like my own like mental health thing. So like in postdoc, like that's where I really learned about like caring about my space. Like Dale gave me time to really cultivate who I was. And a a postdoc mentor is not supposed to do that. They're just supposed to say, okay, give me this science. Give me this, you know. Um, But he was like, I think you should go to counseling. And let me tell you why because I usually don't tell people or intervene in people's lives. But he was like, I see you here and you can be here. And I just want you to explore what it's like. You don't have to, you know, because I'm not making a medical recommendation because he's also MD. But it's just something I think that you could learn and explore. And it would be something that would help you to really be all that you can be. And he says, and there's nothing wrong with it. Right. So, again, having a mentor to embrace that with you. And I was like, okay, I'll try it because, you know, you said it's okay or it's not taboo, right? Because I used to think like counseling was for when, you know, like you jumping off your rocker, right? Not like to like touch you up to make you like, you know, whole, right? So I'm a big component of that. I actually pay for a psychologist for the lab. Uh, She's a life coach for science and she has a degree in psychology. And I pay for that for my laboratory so that they can get what they need because I can't give them everything. That's something that we often forget. Um, and then sometimes having unique experiences with people that look like you helps you much more than, you know, somebody that you know that you are paying and they don't have no, they don't have any life experience around what you've had. Um, so those places are kind of, or those, those spaces, excuse me, are hard to find. Um, and I've had that, honor of being able to do that work. And, you know, I'm doing that work now still. My partner's doing that work now. My mom's a big advocate of like going to um, mental health services. My mom's a nurse. Um, And so I think those things are super, super important. Um, And I think black families in general don't talk about that enough. We say, you know, we're going to pray it away, which you can do. But, you know, God did give you some other resources to, you know, use if you would like to. Um, and so that's something that like, is why I think it's important. And I've seen too many people, um, not get the resources that they need and it wasn't enough time. Um, I've, I've, I've had family members pass away by suicide, um, because they didn't get the help that they needed. And so for me, it's so, so important. And it was, it was my favorite aunt too, um, that passed away from, um, suicide. So, um, Uh, You know, uh, it's important to do that. So when a life event like that affects you, um, you know, you you think about it differently, um, and you think about like, okay, you know, this is real. Or like when you have like someone that passes away from a health concern, you're like, okay, I think I need to make a difference with like the research that I'm doing. So I think that's why it's important. So you have to have an experience with it sometimes to really. believe it. So I think people also have to realize where you come from is not where you're at and you have to remember the past to go forward.
2: Um. So I have one last question and I guess this will uh, wrap up the show. Um, but for other postdocs or people who are transitioning from grad school, um. What would, what are two or three key tips that you would give them for deciding what is the best next step for them? Not necessarily you know what they've heard or what others have done yeah
3: so if you have access to oh, a yeah. career type- no,
2: before you answer the question I didn't ask the longest questions today just want to put that out there but
3: anyways <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Lawrence to ask the longest questions
0: <laughs> it's debatable but I'll, I'll take it <laughs>
3: So I would say um, career coach, if you have access to a career development center at your institution, and if you do not, find out from a neighboring institution who has a career development center and see if they'll meet with you so that first that you can have all your paperwork in order. And the second, and I'll say the first still, and, and uh, the first thing that you should really think about is that you can dream any possibility, don't ever count yourself out because someone says that you don't have the CV or resume for it because those are those are place marks and bench holders. You can find all of that. Um, so don't ever think it's not possible. After you have your career coach, and this could be a mentor as well, because you may not have access to a career development center. Then the next thing is to set up a list of goals of what things that you want to do and find resources to be able to do that. So if it's academia, One thing that you could do is um, Christina Termini wrote several diversity, equity, inclusion articles on like mentoring and the lab. And she's a new lab. And what I love about her, um, she has, I think it's hashtag lab edit. So if you're trying to be a scientist, you could follow that hashtag and you could actually see a lot of new investigators talking about things that they're doing. So it's like its own like self-help guide that's available online for like starting a lab. So that's on Twitter specifically. And then if you're trying to get into industry, one of the best things that I like to say is use LinkedIn. People think it's boring, but it's actually the best place to get everything that you need Mm -hmm. for the industry job, right? Um, And one thing to really focus on is to think about how to get everything that you need. So let's say that you have um, the SMDP program. Um, you know, you do this program. Um, and for minorities, it's available to you, allows you to pick either a medical tech or a biotech uh, partnership. So this is like your pretend internship, if you will. So you get to be with somebody for a year. And so that's something that I think is important to do. Um, and when you do that, you're setting yourself up for success because now you have access to a mentor in a different area then use their network while you're on LinkedIn and the other people you meet at this program. And if you don't have access to that, find individuals that are in your network that can make an introduction to somebody so that you could talk to them about industry and figure out what skills are needed to cultivate that. And let's say you don't want to do either academia or industry, what do you do? A lot of scientists call it alternative careers and that's not the correct way anymore, they're just careers. But there are other things that you can do, like scientific editing and writing, policy, working for government offices like DOD, DOE, FDA, um, NIH, NSF, being a program officer. There's all these different things, being a director of certain programs. And then there's also this space that's around diversity, equity, inclusion, or mentoring that you could create for yourself as well. So the sky's the limit, but it's about just finding people in those places Gleaning advice from multiple individuals, because some people are bitter and some people are in places because they have to be, not because they choose to be. So make sure that you get multiple opinions and take the salt that's needed just to season the state right, not over-season it right, because too much information is not the best thing. Um, You wanna be tender um, and open-hearted, but make sure that when you're learning information, Make sure that your heart is kind of closed off and you're gleaning the information because someone else's experience is not going to be your experience, but be empathetic with it, but don't focus on that. It's going to be your experience. Right? So those are the things that I would give as like tips and then pick other people's brains, follow back up with them. Um, Don't do it one time, do it multiple. And if you think that there's somebody that you need to meet and they're not meeting with you, meet with the people that are in their network and then get back to them later, right? Because then once they learn about you from the other people and you don't have to mention them ever, like learn how to cultivate interest from other people and then they'll mention you and then they'll want to meet you because now you're around the people that they're connected to. So that's the best piece of advice I could say. Thank you for that, I appreciate it.
1: That was great. I mean I mean, honestly, I'm kind of speechless. That was an amazing episode. Uh, we're only gonna <laughs> cut it here just to make sure that Lawrence doesn't have too much work to do <laughs> on I'm the sorry. editing side. Uh, and and to make sure that, you know, we can we can keep it within our about a 45 minutes to an hour, um, though we kept most episodes so far. Um, we might have to uh experiment with like a 90 minute, two hour, like bonus episode or like a, you know, season finale or, or, or something like that. Uh, but Dr. Henson, thank you once again for being so generous with your time, with your, with your knowledge, with your experiences. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain we'll, we'll, we'll be in, in touch moving forward to have you all back, back on the, on the podcast and just in, in life in, in general. Uh, So thank you once again for coming on for season three, episode three for the Culture Podcast. Uh, Before we end, is there anything that you want to plug or anything that you want to shout out?
3: No, I mean, y'all shout out what y'all need to. I mean, I I think like, (laughs) you know, like I'm not one to do that. Like, I just kind of just, you know, like. If, you know, if it, you know, it'll work out. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm a little weird sometimes, you know, like I just, you know, I feel like I want to, you know, I have my own things, but people can find me. Right. But like, the thing is like, this is your podcast. This is what it's here for is to elevate what y'all are doing. So, um, you know, that's it, you know. I'm good. You can
2: uh, you can give a BET Award style uh, thank you if
0: you
3: want.
0: <laughs> 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 <gonna> thank God <laughs> first, and, first, and foremost, <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: Mama. I like listening.
3: Mama. You know my right. mentors. You know, you know, and you know my friends and family. And most of all, you know, like just love in general, friends and families including like everybody, because people will be like, you didn't shout out me, I mean like my partner, my immediate family, my extended family, just to be clear, because they just they'd be like, You didn't mention me, you know how people <laughs> know <sometimes. laughs> I'll hear about it for weeks. So <laughs>
0: last question for you though, random yeah. question. So um Lifetime Achievement Award, you've 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 get you've gotten this lifetime achievement achievement award. What one song would you like to come out to to receive your award?
3: God. Ooh,
2: that was a good one. All right.
0: mm.
3: So I'm one of these people that like options, but like uh, okay. either-
0: uh, should I narrow it down either. a little
3: bit? Uh, yeah, I'll narrow it so down. Genre. I mean it would be gospel, but you know, like with a nice sick beat on it, right? Like you've heard like that Mar <laughs> that like that Marvin sap song, like never would have made it, you know, like the remix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The remix. So, like yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, like that. Like, yeah, you know, and got a little shoulder leaning coming <laughs> like, in. That I would like be nice. Yeah, you know, because I mean there's so many people that always be like, nah, he ain't gonna make it. Nah, he ain't gonna make it. You know, like I tell people right now, like. The secret sauce I'm saying now is like, I'm going to be an associate professor in three years. And I'm like, it's year two. And I'm like, okay, God, you know. But I, I told people I was gonna be a millionaire by thirty-five, and I am. Just not my own money. So you gotta be careful with your, <laughs> like, you, you know, it's specific. Government money, government <laughs> money to do research. So I've been a multi-millionaire before. I've been in deficit, and I've recovered. Like, you know, but like, you know, like the thing is, like, you know, you you want to kind of like really be smart about what you say and how you pray, because my God, it come true. Like, you know, so like. Um, I need it in my personal life this time, but like <laughs> uh, the goal, the goal is you know you got to keep dreaming big, um, and that's that's how I think about things. So that's my secret sauce right now. It's like my lifetime achievement award is always saying like believing in the impossible. well, I guess it'd be my speech: believing in the impossible is possible. You have to make it the possibility, um, and you have to be the change that you don't see. Um, and when you rise to the challenge. You will fall, but you will get back up again and climb with success. And remember that while you're up in that space and when you get this platform, never erase what's been done in the past. Mm-hmm. Honor the people that came before you and give them the space that they deserve because they got you there. You're, you're you're doing everything that you can, but you have to rise up by being able to lift up others. So that's what I like to do and what I live by. So like if I accept the Lifetime Achievement Award, like, you know, I win the Nobel Prize, they gonna really, they were like, man, this black man, you know, he's great in science, but like, I'll be talking about other stuff if I won the Nobel Prize, like I would be saying things like that. Like, you know, like, you know, I, this Nobel Prize is for Dale, this Nobel Prize is for Sandra, you know, all the people that believed in me when nobody else would, right? Um, and it would be, you know, it'd be for the culture, like you, like you say, you know, like your podcast, right? Like, that would be the thing, like, because the goal is for us to all be successful. And I guess I do have a shout out. Shout out to my boy from the hometown, Terrell Morton, Dr. Terrell Morton, who just got $8.8 million. Shout out to Christopher Barnes, who just got one of the top 10 scientists to watch, who's at Stanford. And shout out to all the other people making like T.K. Francis, who people don't give enough credit for who's changing the game and STEM ed. So these are some people like, right. So like, you know, that's what I would say. I'm always thinking about other people. So, you know, it's important too. So, yeah.
2: Oh, I just want to say uh, before we wrap up, uh, this is how you should give credit to others who have helped you on your way throughout the whole show. You gave credit to anyone who gave you a hint of, direction or guidance and i think as our own people we don't do that enough so i definitely want to double back on what you said and thank you for doing that i don't know the people that you have came across but the way you speak about them man i just want to say
3: that so thank you oh they they awesome they be in the trenches like i'll be talking to dr murray crying at 11 and she's 70 something or 80, I don't know, she don't tell me her age, but she be like, it's gonna be okay, honey, we gonna get through this. I don't call Dale that late, I call him in the morning. Like, I be like, we need to set up a meeting, but he'll be in between patients and he'll talk to me. So like, when I'm telling you, like, these people go to bat and then if he can't do it, he sends his generals, Hanada and Rhonda, to like, talk to me about something. um, Or he'll say, this is a problem for this person to solve, so talk to them about this and I'll circle back to you when I have time. Like, what I'm trying to say is, like, you always got to give a shout out to your people. And my mom was my first mentor. She's still my favorite mentor um, because I come to her with some, like, heavy stuff at all times. But my mom be down in the trenches with me, you know. We be touching and agreeing together for the family, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, So, it's, I don't know, you know, that's, that's it, you know. Thank you,
0: thank you.
1: And on that note, this has been season three, episode three. Again, we're we're joined by Doctor AJ Hinton. Make sure that you follow his Twitter. Well, his his uh, personal Twitter at uh, PhDG Protein, I believe, eighty six. Again, that's at PhDG Protein eighty six, as well as his laboratory Twitter at AT hinton s-a-t-h-i-n-t-o-n again thank you very very much for joining
3: us this has been episode three and we're gone peace thank y'all
0: thanks for listening to for the culture podcast with your hosts ian kofi and lawrence if you're new here don't forget to click that subscribe button and follow us on social media Help us grow by liking and sharing this episode with your family and friends. Hey, that's all for this episode. See you next time.